0: And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, Chris Lambert, CEO of Life Remodeled.
1: We are over-inundated with information nowadays and needs galore. We can become overwhelmed by the global needs and by the needs that we have in our own backyard. It can almost become overwhelming and we want to try to do whatever we can. Instead, we need to learn who we are. What is our gift? And that will very much help us learn how do we plug in to make our difference that
0: we're made for in this place we call Earth. Well, hello, everyone. This is Ray Hilbert. I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith, where we love to bridge the gap between faith and business and leadership in the marketplace. We get to interview some of the most amazing Christ followers in the marketplace from across the country, north to south, east to west. And we'd like to welcome you back to another episode here at Bottom Line Faith. Well, I'm going to jump right in today uh, with our guest who is joining us in studio. I am speaking with Chris Lambert, the CEO of Life Remodeled. We're going to hear an amazing story today. Chris, welcome to Bottom Line Faith. Hey, Ray, great to be with you here today. Well, Chris, we are actually recording this in Indianapolis. You were in town speaking at a conference over the last couple of days, and uh, we've got connected, and um, I've just been looking forward to this conversation. So, Chris, let's jump right in. Let's take a few moments. We're going to learn all about Life Remodeled and what you're doing and your organization to transform the city of Detroit. But tell us your story. Tell us a little bit about your background. I grew up in a
1: very small town in northern Indiana called Milford. And when I say small town, I mean we didn't have a four-way stoplight until I was in middle school small town. And when it came to faith and religion, my parents would take my sister and I to church service about half the year because they felt like it was the right thing to do. However, they never talked about God in the home. For whatever reason, as far back as I can remember, I was this really spiritual kid, loved God. That kept increasing and increasing until in eighth grade, I had a nickname. My nickname was Lambert. That's my last name, Lambert the Jesus Freak. I was the kid who was going to try to convert everybody in school to Christianity. Of course, I never got close to that goal, but I thought I was doing God a big favor. Uh That kept increasing until about shortly before I turned 16. I hit a growth spurt, and as you can see, the listeners, you can't, but I'm only six feet. That didn't last very long, but I became kind of a big fish in a small pond when it came to athletics at my high school. And I began to look around at my buddies who were not following God, and I started thinking to myself, wow, they're having a lot more fun in life than me and my little youth group, so I'm going to become a little bit more like them without jumping off the deep end. Now, here's where the story gets ridiculous as if it wasn't ridiculous enough already, but at 16, I decided I was going to do something crazy. I was going to start cussing for the first time in my life to try to help me fit in. Yeah. So I'm a very intentional person. I remember driving down a country road in my Jeep Wagoneer, and I put down my rearview mirror, and I said a word that I won't say here on the radio. And I'm also an (laughs) all-or-nothing kind of person, so I go to school the next day. Every third word's the F word and son of a, and you name it. Everybody drops their jaw. They said, what in the heck happened to Lambert the Jesus freak? Uh Uh-huh. So they're laughing, I'm laughing, that's a whole lot of fun for about 10 minutes and that wears off and eventually I decided the next thing I would do would be dating girls and all that comes along with that for a teenage guy who's not following God. Eventually that wasn't enough so I wanted to mix things up, threw in some alcohol, then a lot of alcohol, then various drugs. Graduated high school in 1999, went to Indiana University to study business and get ready to go to law school. While I was there, I joined the largest fraternity on campus so I could have more of everything I was looking for. From the ages of 16 to 22, I basically lived my life by this. I was going to do whatever I wanted to do, whatever I wanted to do it, whatever I thought was going to make me the most happy. And so life was going pretty great, or so I thought, but there would be nights when I would lie in bed and I would think to myself, wow, I got to be missing out on something here because this distance isn't doing what I thought yeah, it would do. Yeah, yeah. So my solution to my perceived problem was just to do more of all of the above. At 22, I decided to move to Australia my junior year and study overseas for six months. While I was there, I had what I would call a radical encounter with God. And a couple things happened. One, I started traveling around to Southeast Asia and various countries, and of course Australia, and I began to realize the world is a very big place, and I'm just this little itty-bitty speck of dust on the planet. This thing doesn't revolve around me, which was very important for my 22-year-old ego. The next thing that happened was I met a couple guys over there who became my best friends, and they were who I would call Jesus followers. But they were pretty cool guys. They could go out to a bar, have a drink or two, and then go home. Yeah. And meanwhile, I'd stay out doing everything they weren't doing. Eventually, they said to me, Hey, Lambert, why don't you come with us to our church service? And I was like, Oh, man, you know, I did that when I was a kid. I used to really believe in God. I even tried to go a couple years ago to reconnect with them. Totally didn't work for me, but I'll go because you guys are going. So we go to this little Anglican church, which is Church of England, or think Episcopalian Church, for some who might not be familiar with Anglican churches. And the pastor, I remember distinctly, wore skateboarding shoes and skateboarding shorts, which is very unusual for an Anglican church, and I thought, this is kind of a weird place. And the service was okay, it was good enough for me to go back a second time, and then I ended up there a third time. The third time I was there, this guest pastor from Indiana came there and he preached the sermon that basically outlined my life to a T— And as he was wrapping up, I felt like God was speaking to me for the first time in my life. And your listeners will probably be familiar with where this comes from, but what I felt like he was saying to me was I was like lukewarm water, I wasn't hot, I wasn't cold, and he was about to spit me out of his mouth. Now, the pastor didn't say that that night, but I know I read that when I was a kid. What that did for me is it spiritually sobered me for a few seconds. I wasn't on any drugs or alcohol that particular night, but I would say if there's ever such a time in my life when I was spiritually sober, that was it. And over the next few seconds, I began to see visually that for the past six years of my life, God basically let me do everything I wanted to do. I got pretty much everything that I wanted. He didn't mess up my plans. He didn't get in my way. He didn't send me to jail. I should have been there for drugs and drunk driving and other things. And all of a sudden, I realized that at no point during those last six years had I ever been as happy or as satisfied as I was when I was Lambert the Jesus freak. So the pastor gave an altar call, which also doesn't happen in Anglican churches. I went up to the front. I remember exactly what I did. I got down on my knees, I looked up, I said, God, from this moment forward, I will stop doing whatever you want me to stop doing, and I'll start doing whatever you want me to
0: start doing. And that was a major climax in, in my life. And so you're 38 yes. now, so we're talking 16, 15 years ago? Yeah, this was in 2010. All right, so then just fast forward for us marriage, kids, just what's the family scenario like? Because we could spend, I know, a whole hour just on that. But give us the snapshot, and then we'll jump into leadership.
1: I married a beautiful Romanian, God-fearing, Jesus-loving woman. And how did you meet her? I met her at seminary in California, at Fuller Theological Seminary. And we have two amazing boys, yeah. Levi and Judah. They're nine and six. They're wild and crazy. I don't know where they get that from, and uh, we're very proud of them. <laughs> I kind of have a suspicion. I know. Yeah, you have, yeah. I'm, I'm sure a little you're thinking about my wife. Yeah.
0: <laughs> So uh, how did you end up in Detroit?
1: Well, my wife was born in Romania, but then moved to Detroit when she was two. And when I was with her one time over Christmas, I began to talk to some of her family members that talked about Romanians leaving the church that had been born and raised in the church. And I started to, to pray that someone would do something about that, never even imagining that I would have anything to do with that, because I never wanted to move back to the Midwest again. I loved Los Angeles. I had an opportunity to pastor a church out there. And over a series of months, felt very called to Detroit, and to break it down to two reasons I can explain that my wife and I are both very passionate about when it comes to where we want to live. We always want to live where there's a lot of diversity and where there's a lot of social need, and L.A. had all that. But when we looked at what was happening in Detroit compared to what was happening in L.A., we realized the need was so far greater in Detroit, and that was uh, how I could logically explain it. But as many of our listeners will know, it was definitely a very strong spiritual sense of calling.
0: Yeah. So there's some family connection that was kind of like maybe the seed of drawing you back, but then God really moved in your hearts to be there.
1: Let me tell you, it wasn't the family connection. My wife was raised in a home that uh, she wasn't allowed to hang out with a non-Romanian her entire upbringing, and going back to the family at first was not appealing. <laughs> um, we've since now formed wonderful relationships with her family, Yeah, but that wasn't the reason that we moved back. They're great people. God bless them. I love them, especially now. But um, <laughs> we we felt called to plant a church. Very good. And
0: we did that in two thousand seven. But that's not what ended up happening in the long term, right? So let's let's what's the story of, of life remodeled? How did that come about? The story is we were
1: church planners and in April of 2010, this buddy of mine came up to me, his name's Alex McManus. He's the brother of Erwin McManus. Alex came up to me one day at a church planning conference and he said, Hey Chris, have you ever thought about doing a reality TV show? And I said, No. He said, well, I've got this concept for a show, kind of like the show Clean House, and I think you'd be really good at it. I don't know if you ever heard of that show. Probably not, because it only lasted a year. Then they pulled it. So I said two things to Alex that I'd never said in my life. I said, number one, that show sucks. I said, number two, if I was going to do a show, I'd probably do something more like a stream makeover home edition, but more holistic end of discussion, wasn't serious at all about it, walked away from it, my wheels were turning. I, st- I wasn't really serious, but I started thinking about the concept. And so I'm sure you've seen that show, Stream Makeover Home Edition. Sure, yeah. I used to watch it from time to time. I would cry every time I'd watch it right at the end, right when the producers wanted me to. But I always used to think to myself, I really don't think this is the best thing to do for these families, to build these gaudy homes and give them away for free. And then I learned that anywhere between 17 and 25% of families were losing them. So that led to this holistic concept that I invented and called Life Remodeled. The original concept was, let's build a house in six days, give it away to a low-income family for free. Let's take them through financial training, set them up with a financial advisor and Financial Peace University, set them up with a clinical psychologist to process family dynamics, offer spiritual guidance, and then invest in the surrounding neighborhood, not just the one home. Two weeks went by. I still wasn't serious about it, but I felt like God spoke to me and said, start it. And the two reasons why were, number one, I knew it would make a significant impact in the lives of people living in poverty, which I'm very passionate about. The second reason is I knew it would bring people together to volunteer, no matter what their views were on religion, politics, moral lifestyle, you name it. And so our church that had less than 200 people in a blue-collar suburb of Detroit with $8,000 in the bank set out to do the impossible, and one year later we did everything I just told you, and then that evolved very, very quickly into what we now do today, which is very different and much deeper and much more impactful.
0: All right. So uh, one of my favorite passages in Scripture is from uh, Zechariah that says, "'Do not despise the day of humble beginnings.'" Mm. And you just walked us through what was kind of a casual conversation, maybe to some degree a flippant response to this question that had been posed to you about a reality show, but it sounds like God planted a seed there, a very small seed. And now it has really, really grown. You just walked us through the early days. But give us the size and scope now of Life Remodeled. And then I want to back up and talk more about vision and implementation and, and really get into some blocking and tackling here. So here's what we do. We revitalize
1: urban neighborhoods in Detroit. And I'm here in Indy looking at hopefully one day coming to this city and Chicago and other cities. But our strategy is this. We do three things every year. Number one, we renovate a community asset and repurpose it. Number two, we repair owner-occupied homes. Number three, we mobilize at least 10,000 volunteers in six days to beautify 300 city blocks. Now, those three things obviously make a very significant impact on physical structures and spaces, but that's not our mission. Our mission is we exist to bridge people across divides to help transform each other's lives. I think we can all agree America is experiencing tremendous division. And I believe urban poverty does not have to exist but it largely exists because that division is so strong and has been for such a long time. And we're about creating relationships that can
0: overcome that division and create sustainable communities. And so tell us a little bit about what the last 12 to 15 months have been like in the life of your ministry.
1: We are in a neighborhood that is very historical. It's the neighborhood where the first high school in Detroit was um, started, and it's also the neighborhood where the 1967 Detroit riots started 51 years ago this year. And it's a unique project for us that's actually shifted our paradigm. We used to remodel existing high schools and then move to the next neighborhood, the next neighborhood. About two years ago, the district invited us to take over the a gorgeous former school building that was built in 1927 with a slate roof and neo-Gothic architecture, and they wanted us to repurpose it into a hub of opportunity for children, youth, and adults. And so over the last 12 to 15 months, we've been physically renovating that building, and we're bringing in tenants, nonprofits, and for-profits to move in because we are not a community development corporation. We're not the nonprofit that's going to start up programs to directly address social needs. We're the community quarterback. We're the connector, and so our role has been to find the best and brightest nonprofits and for-profits to move into the facility. They're the ones providing job opportunities for Detroiters, real-world hands-on educational opportunities for kids, healthcare opportunities, literacy training, uh, funding for for for-profits to start up as entrepreneurs in our building, and so on and so forth.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just exploding, right? And it's it become so much more than probably the original vision. And by the way, Chris, if someone's listening here and they're like already intrigued by this conversation, what's the best way for somebody to learn about uh, Life Remodeled? We have a website. All right. And it's liferemodeled.com. All right. We are a nonprofit,
1: but we went with a .com because mm-hmm. it's familiar. And we are about to release a 167-page playbook for free, which will be on our website by December. That was funded by Chip and Joanna Gaines of the show Fixer Upper. They created, they, they gave us the funding to be able to produce this playbook so we can give it out across the country
0: to try to inspire others and inform others of how we've done what we've done. That's extraordinarily exciting. Okay, so many of our listeners, they're business owners, they're entrepreneurs, they're vision people, right? They've got goals, they've got things that God's placed on their heart. Walk us through just kind of how it went from this conversation that you were asked about a reality show to where you kind of responded and then you walked away and you started thinking, how did it go from that to a real vision that you began to act upon? What what was that like? Yep. So the, the
1: vision statement or mission statement that I just mentioned of bridging people across divides to help transform each other's lives has really always been what we were about and are about, but I used different language initially. And I was a pastor at the time, and for me, my motivation is, I, and I speak about this free all the time publicly, I want to be like this certain Jewish construction worker who lived about 2,000 years ago, was brutally murdered, and came back to life. And I'm very passionate about spreading that message with others. And what resonated with the church congregation that I led, and the many other churches in our areas, was the opportunity to share faith by demonstrating faith and by having the opportunity to verbally communicate faith that's really earned when action is very palpable. And so that resonated with our church and a variety of other churches where the first project we did was really done by Christ followers and a few construction companies who donated their labor and materials, but most of them were Christ followers as well. Where this thing really grew and evolved was when I would speak at churches, because I have a lot of relationships with pastors, and I would communicate the vision, and a businessman or a businesswoman would hear from the stage for the first time, maybe in their entire time attending the church, wow, I can get my company involved in this. Yeah, And then that led to opportunities where, as you're familiar, most companies are looking for opportunities to volunteer. Well, we have a great outlet for them then that turned into in-kind services where all of our legal is donated. Almost all of our marketing is donated. And we found a way to get about 74% of the $5.5 million that we do a year donated through in-kind relationships through great companies and organizations that really wanna give back in a meaningful way. And so the, the key to everything, I would say, is very simple and very difficult, and that's relationships. And developing very diverse relationships doing the best to to never burn any bridges, but to find opportunities where everyone has a role, everyone can belong, and no matter what perspective they're coming from, they have something to bring to the table. But always being very clear about who I am and what I believe. And I think that's earned a tremendous amount of respect in that I'm not hiding my faith ever but we're very intentionally not a religious organization, and I share my faith publicly as this is my perspective, and I always clarify it with this is not a religious organization. And what I found is that people are very gravitated toward hearing our stories, and you can't argue with someone's story. That's right. And people don't want to argue with your story. They actually are very interested in what you have to say, and it's not threatening when I'm telling you my
0: story. And I found that a lot of people want to figure out how maybe that can be a part of their story in the process. Right. There's a great parallel here, because one of the things, you know, having ran Truth at Work for 20 years, working with Christ followers who own and run businesses, we've often had this conversation. There is no such thing as a Christian company. I agree. You can't baptize a company, can you? Exactly. Jesus didn't come to die for an entity, you know, whether they're an LLC or a sub-S or a C-Corp or whatever it may be. So... There is no such thing as a Christian company. However... There are businesses that are ran and led by believers who want to do so on biblical principles. Yes. That's the parallel here is, so you're not a Christian ministry per se, a Christian organization, but you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you are bridging all religions, all socioeconomic, race, ethnicity, and you even engage in these communities, drug dealers and gang leaders. Tell us about that and why, you know, somebody might be listening well, that that can't be part of building God's kingdom. How mm. could that be? Those are mm. evil people. How do you do that, and why?
1: Mm. Well, I don't know that the drug dealers and uh, gangbangers are any worse than some of the other people leading uh, large companies <laughs> that we work with, who maybe not—they're very you know, entrepreneurial, Jesus. Right, many of them. Exactly. <laughs> so sin takes many shapes, sizes, and forms. And one of our mantras is we don't serve Detroit neighborhoods. We serve with Detroit neighborhoods. And so one of the most important components of neighborhood revitalization is engaging the local community to, one, find out what is their vision for the future, to not import a vision from outside the community, and then, two, to engage them as much as possible on leading and implementing the project's and the goals for the future. And so we do ha- we end up working with a variety of people who are dealing drugs uh, and in gangs or affiliated with gangs. And that all comes through a relational network where I think too often charity is this top-down approach where you have your benefactors who are up top and your beneficiaries who are down below. And many times charity takes the form of where the benefactors are seen as the solution, the ones who have everything in life figured out, and the beneficiaries Their role is just to take the goods and say thank you and do something good with it, right? And instead what we believe is in many ways we're very much on level playing field where we all have something to learn from one another and we all have something to give. And I think that that mentality has created a platform to where people like you just mentioned, drug dealers, we have the Michigan Department of Corrections out there serving and those men and women have a blast because everybody feels like they're equal, And that is a beautiful thing. Honestly, it's my favorite week of the year when we have the 10,000 people, not because it's a bunch of people, but because it's so many different people that normally would
0: blow up in a room if they were together more than three minutes. And they're each bringing a unique story and journey and pathway, but moving in the same direction. Yes. With the same vision and the same objective. And that's really the great parallel to leadership and in business, Mm. because we as Christ followers, those who are listening, who are owners and leaders in companies— We've got the exact same opportunity and, and platform here, where we're we're in a diverse community, serving diverse com, uh, customers and clients and employees. But when we have a common vision, when we have a common objective, mm-hmm. and we understand what that is, that's when unity can occur. And and Chris, you honestly are building God's kingdom using both followers of Jesus and those who are not yet followers of Christ. Correct. Is that a good way to put it? It's correct, and I base that on the way Jesus did
1: ministry, because I think we can all agree that Judas was not a believer, and yet Judas was commanded to cast out demons, heal the sick, and raise the dead, the same thing as the other 11 disciples and the 70 that Jesus sent out, and I actually do not believe any of the 12 disciples really believe Jesus was the Messiah. You know, you got Peter who liked to run his mouth. Peter was a lot like me. I think we have a lot in common. And he's jumping and, oh, yeah, you're the Messiah, this and that. And then we all see how that turned out when times got tough. And uh, yet Jesus included them. He eventually came
0: back around. He sure did. There was a point. Yeah, you're right. He
1: sure did. (laughs) But yet Jesus included them. You know, Jesus didn't just come to earth and say, watch me do all this cool stuff. But I want you to do it with me. And I believe that's one of the best ways to introduce people to the kingdom is to incorporate them in the work of the kingdom, whether they know that they're directly doing it for God or not. And then that just creates opportunities to give
0: verbal context to the work in the midst of relationships. So, Chris, if there's someone listening right now who's like really intrigued by your story and how God's used you and taking it from just a conversation to this amazing work but somebody's listening maybe they're discouraged maybe they've had an idea maybe they've not acted on it maybe for fear or doubt or maybe there's naysayers in their life or they're just flat out discouraged right now What encouragement would you have for that person who's listening right now going, where do I go from here? Sure. I would say that the passage that really drives
1: much of what has gotten me to where I am today and where I think God's going to take me is when Jesus said that he who is faithful with a little will be given much. And so I never planned on leading a nonprofit. And at the time that I started this nonprofit, I actually hated raising money And the part that I left out is we did produce a reality TV show pilot that I thought was going to fund this whole thing. So I never thought I'd lead a nonprofit. Before that, I never thought I would be a pastor. But once I did give my life to Christ, I found that being faithful in the little things, being present in the day, and not fantasizing about the future, looking to the future, Mm -hmm. looking for where God is leading... But being present in the day of how can I maximize my opportunities to be like Jesus and do the things Jesus did with my spouse, with the current place of employment that I'm in, in the scenario that I'm in, and developing deep relationships. Some might call it networking. I don't really like that word because it sounds too um, uh, intentional in a, maybe a negative way, but it's not a bad word. But really developing relationships, and God works through relationships. Yes. And God will lead you through those relationships of where he wants you to be. And he'll give you the support that you need through those relationships to be able to carry out maybe the vision that's on your heart right now, or maybe the vision that you
0: don't even see, but by you taking the steps you're taking now, you're going to see three years from now. And, and what about that person who is listening and going, yeah, but there's just so much need out there. What, what do I do? How do I, enge- can I really make a difference? What, what encouragement would you have for them? Well, I'd say you're on this earth to make a difference. So yeah. One, just come to
1: terms with that beautiful reality <laughs> and know that, you know, we all play significant roles. And what I try to do is stay in my lane and knowing who you are, knowing what your gifts are is so essential to you being able to figure out what role you play in that, because, you know, we are over-inundated with information nowadays and needs galore. We can become overwhelmed, really, by the global needs and by the, the needs that we have in our own backyard. It can almost become overwhelming, and we want to try to do what whatever we can. Instead, we need to learn who we are. What is our gift mix? And that will very much help us learn how do we plug in to make our – difference that we're made for
0: in this place we call Earth. Yeah, just as kind of maybe a little uh, little tap onto that, uh, recently I had a chance to interview uh, Cheryl uh, Batchelder, who was the CEO at Popeye's Chicken and led one of the greatest turnarounds in American business history. And uh, she talked about the important thing is to focus on what we can do mm. and not give any energy and attention to what we can't do, because that's that's overwhelming of what can't be done. It's just those little humble steps, right? That's what you're talking about. Yes. Yeah.
1: And for me, you know, learning my visionary giftings, I'm very passionate about entrepreneurism, and I'm very passionate about evangelism. And learning that about myself, that I am not an integrator, I am not a COO, but for the early years of this organization, I had to play that role. Yeah. But to get to the place where we are now, I had to work toward finding that right, right right-hand person who can do what I can't do Mm -hmm. and learning how to build a team with the right people in the right seats.
0: Otherwise, our organization would have folded several years ago. So you're, what, 15, 16 years into this. So what do you wish someone would have told you in the first year that as you now look back over the last 15, 16 years, what do you wish you had known that first year that you've now learned as a big, big aha well, I,
1: I would say some of the biggest mistakes we made and I made personally were around fundraising in that because I hated fundraising, right? I uh, wanted to just try to figure out, okay, how do we get the money and that God wants us to have and move forward? I had no professional fundraising training whatsoever, and I never looked at the tithes and offerings that people were giving in our church because I didn't want to know the names of the people who gave because I didn't want to shake a big donor's hand better than a, yeah. so a small donor. Yeah. So I overreacted in many ways. And when I took that into fundraising, uh, people were giving very large sums of money, and I wasn't staying in contact with them and relationship with them because I was so bogged down in the day-to-day. Mm-hmm. And I was working in the business rather than on the business, right? And uh, caused me to miss a lot of opportunities to build some very amazing relationships because What has changed my mind about fundraising is fundraising should be transformational for donors, not transactional. That's awesome. And that has been very enlightening to where now I enjoy it because I'm not not going out there asking you for money. I'm getting to know you and seeing if you want to bring your whole self to this cause, if our
0: causes intersect. And if they don't, I'm going to help you find another cause that intersects better with your life. Yeah, I love that. The words that we use are so powerful. You know, when we start, you know, it talks about in Philippians 4, fix your thoughts on these things, you know, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, and so forth. Just by saying to yourself, I hate fundraising, you are planting wrong seeds. I agree. Negative seeds, instead of Hey, I love giving people a chance yes. for a transformational relationship. And that's where you're at now, right? Correct. You're right. That My mindset was very tainted by experiences that I'd had, and that limited me. Yeah, yeah. Well— Hey, I think they, that's called growth, and we're allowed to grow in those areas, right? Yeah, and I, I think I got a long, long way to go. so that, And that's part of what I love about this life, right? That's right. You never arrive. That's right. Just as a reminder, Chris, again, just tell us the website that folks can go and learn more about you and the ministry. It's amazing. It is liferemodel.com,
1: L-I-F-E-R-E-M-O-D-E-L-E-D.com. L-I-F-E-R-E-M-O-D-E-L-E-D.com. And we've got videos on there. We've even got a full documentary of one of our projects that is fascinating. We've won five Emmys in Michigan, so it's pretty good. And uh, we would love for anybody that's further interested to reach out to us. And again, we're looking at other cities around the country. We'd love to connect with men and women who have a passion to possibly engage in something like this
0: in your city. I love it because you're you're transcending politics, you're transcending race and ethnicity and socioeconomic status, and even the religious boundaries that we put up. And you really are bringing people together to bring God's kingdom into the community. I love that. And so, well done. That's awesome. That's encouraging. Well,
1: thank you for the words of encouragement, and I'm inspired by like-minded thinkers like yourself.
0: It's fun, right? You <laughs> know, well, the Bible talks about that, you know, being in community. And so, Chris, we're, we're here at the end, and for our regular listeners, they know that there's one question that's always my last question, okay? And it's based out of Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, where Solomon says, Above all else, guard your heart for from it flows all of life. So you're a young guy now, but let's say that uh, you're towards the tail end of your time this side of eternity, and you have a chance to gather your family, your friends, your loved ones, those who are most precious to you, and you're going to get a chance to pass along the most what you believe to be the most important piece of advice. So rather than waiting then for that Why don't you offer that same piece of advice right now to our listeners here at Bottom Line Faith? Fill in the blank for us. Above all else. Hmm. Commit your life to
1: not just believing in the life, death, and burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but commit your life to believing that His example is one that can truly be followed and can truly be learned— and continue to deeply dive into his life, his attitude, his practice, his reactions, and that's a
0: never-ending journey of day-by-day becoming more like him. Oh, I love that. So not just be a hearer of the Word, but a... Doer. Doer of the Word. Chris Lambert, thank you for joining us today on Bottom Line Faith. Thank you, brother. It's been awesome. We are going to continue this relationship. There's going to be some exciting things. If you have been intrigued, encouraged, inspired by learning about Chris, and not only his story, but uh, his ministry and what they're doing there in Detroit at Life Remodeled, please, please check out their website, liferemodeled.com. Great tools, as he has shared with us, that are available there. And I am sure that he would be delighted if you would even—you you were telling me a story earlier about a guy from another city that, that volunteered and came up for six days. yes. And served. Yes, we've had people come from Maine,
1: Connecticut, Wisconsin, Indianapolis, is the last story I was sharing with you earlier today. So you're invited from anywhere on the globe. August 5th through August 10th of 2019 is our next six-day project. Okay,
0: so check it out at liferemodeled.com. It could be a truly transformational experience. Bring your employees, bring your family. I'm sure that it will be a very, very good six days for you. Well, folks, as we wrap up here at Bottom Line Faith, we hope that you've been encouraged by our conversation today with Chris. Uh, we'd love it if you would uh, check out uh, all the other interviews that we have. The website is bottomlinefaith.org, bottomlinefaith.org, and If you're not a regular subscriber, you can certainly do so on uh, Google Play, the iTunes Store, Stitcher, all your traditional podcast platforms. If you're a Christ follower and you're looking for community with other business owners and leaders like yourself, check out truthatwork.org. Truth at Work is the host ministry here at Bottom Line Faith. Check out that website at truthatwork.org. Click on the roundtable link there and learn how you could join the community of hundreds of of Christ followers connected in roundtables across the country. So until next time, I am your host here at Bottom Line Faith, Ray Hilbert, encouraging you to faithfully live out your faith every day in the marketplace. God bless, and we'll see you next time.
1: Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play
0: and iTunes.